podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. podcast on monday august 31st we're brought to you by eplindex.com in association with our presenting sponsor liberty shield liberty shield is a vpn provider so check out all their services at libertyshield.com the football season has officially started boys and girls the community shield acts as the curtain raiser every year and this year is no different so on saturday liverpool and arsenal played out uh, a 1-1 draw, which ended with Arsenal winning on penalties. This is, um, I mean, for Arsenal, it's reason to be enthused about the season. It's reason to believe that you can compete a bit better this season than you have uh, in the last couple of seasons. It gets you into that habit of winning and lifting silverware. Now, it is a friendly there's no question it's a friendly. But you could see by the reaction of the Liverpool players that they wanted to bring home that silverware. So you can't just dismiss it as, oh, Liverpool didn't care. Liverpool cared. That's clear. Klopp brought on Ryan Brewster just to take a penalty. The game is a friendly, though. And I believe it's lost some of its luster, and I'll get into that in a few minutes. But from an Arsenal point of view, I thought there was a lot of positives to take away. I thought Ainsley Maitland-Niles was excellent. I thought he looked really impressive playing out of position as a left-wing back. He will tell you that any wing-back position is out of position for him, that he's a central midfielder. But I do think his best role even if it's not his preferred role, is as a right-wing back. And it got me thinking that you see how Arsenal set up in that game with a 3-4-3. And that, by and large, is something managers who aren't fully capable of setting a team up defensively and carrying out the style and attacking nature of what they want to do. When they're not capable of doing that, they go 3-4-3. But 3-4-3 is also a great formation to implement your style of play with, to implement your philosophy, your beliefs, to get players used to playing together. And then you can shift it around. You can move it from that 3-4-3 to pretty much whatever you want. And I wonder if Arsenal aren't better suited to sticking 3-4-3 for the entirety of the season rather than just jumping to it for bigger games. Um, There's been a lot of talk that Arteta would like to play a 4-3-3. And that's, it's admirable. But they don't have the midfield to do that. To play a 4-3-3, Arsenal would need either two starting midfielders and a resurgence from Lucas Torreira or three starting midfielders. Because their midfield situation is is not good at all. I mean, Xhaka, yes, he had a bit of a resurgence last season uh, once Arteta took over. But we've been waiting years 
for Granite Jacket to show anything like the level of a top Premier League midfielder. Um, Elneny played in the Community Shield and had a, had a solid game. But he's not a starting quality player for a team that has top four ambition. It looks like Gwendozi will stay. And he's a talented footballer, but he's still very young, very raw. Good squad player to have, but not, not a starter. I think Torreira could be a starter. He has the quality. Hasn't always shown it at Arsenal. But it appears like he's on the out. That he's not part of the group that Arteta wants to move forward with. Now, selling him could fund one. But they'd still need two others. So they've got too much work to do, I think, to make it work for themselves in a three four in, in a four three three. I don't think they have right backs suited to playing four three three either. I think Bellerin and Maitland Niles are both much better suited as wing backs than as full backs. And I think when you look at their centre back situation, Saliba and Gabriel is clearly what they're planning for. This is going to be the pair. But they're both really young. They're both brand new to England, brand new to the Premier League. That could be risky to try and pair them together this season. So maybe their best option is to go with a um, with a 3-4-3. Because if you look through their squad, I mean, up front, they're, they're absolutely, I mean, they're loaded with talent. Pepe, Lacazette, Aubameyang, Nelson and Ketia, who started and I thought had a decent game, though he missed a good chance, and Gabriel Martinelli, plus Willian coming in. That's seven options in attacking areas. Baki Osaka can also play up there as well, but I'd, I'd like to use him somewhere else. I want to get him in the starting team. And Pepe and Aubameyang have to be the two wide players, I think, in their best 11. So they've got that up front. Maitland Niles and Bellerin as your right wing backs. That's really, really strong. For, for wing backs, that's the perfect fit. I would play Saka as a left wing back, uh, at least for now, just to have him in the team. I think if you were playing the 4 3 3, he's one you could transition into being a number eight, as long as you're willing to be patient with him. He could be really good there. That pass he played for Obama Yang's goal was. Absolutely top class. But if he's your left wing back, and say you keep Kalasanak and use him as a backup wing back, he can do less damage there, so that's fine. In the centre midfield, then you've got Guendozi, you've got Xhaka, and you've got Elneny. You definitely need newer, new starters, but maybe you can get away with just buying one. If you bought a Conrad Lemaire from uh, our, um, Red Bull Salzburg, if you bought or RB Salzburg, sorry, because they're you know they're trying to move away from the branding. Um, if you bought Bubakari Samare from Lille, someone like that to bring energy and quality to the middle of the field uh, would be a really nice fit. And you could then play either Guendouzi or or um, or Xhaka along with them. And I think you'd be fine from that standpoint as long as you got the work rate out of them. And then at the back, Saliba and Gabriel and Kieran Tierney. I, now, I'd play Tierney in the middle of that three. The most experienced, the best organizer of the three, 
I think Kieran Tierney's potentially the next Arsenal captain. So that is a back three. I think that could be very, very good. Now, you could move Tierney to left wing back, maybe move Saka into the middle of the field as a central midfielder if you get the right partner for him. And you could buy a centre-back. But I would say just do maybe one more this summer. So buy one central midfielder this summer, use Saka as a wing-back and Tierney as a centre-back. You're happy with your goalkeeper situation. I mean, I'm not overly sold on either Bernard Leno or um, Emmy Martinez, but they're both solid goalkeepers. And, I mean, Martinez has performed really well while, while Leno's been out. Now, the talk is that he is for sale uh, because Arteta is not willing to consider the move. I wonder if he might be better better suited to what Arteta wants to do. Mar- Martinez, that is. He might be better suited to what Martinez wants to do or to what Arteta wants to do. And maybe that's something that will crop up over the season if they can't get their asking price for Martinez because rumours are they want £20 million and it's hard to see anybody paying £20 million for an uncapped backup goalkeeper uh, in this current market. But we have to wait and see. Um, Two things that cropped up. One, the penalty shootout. The new rule where if a goalkeeper even steps forward off the line, VAR will review it and immediately order a retake. That is going to make it nearly impossible for a goalkeeper to save a penalty that's not badly badly placed. If you put the ball in the corners, they're simply not going to be able to reach it. Um, I'm not overly keen on this. I, I don't like when the goalkeepers are like three steps off their line and narrowing the angle to the point of practically being on top of the striker. But I do think they should be allowed to take one step. I do. I feel it should be one step and dive. I think that would create just a little bit more of an of a level playing field. I mean, Alison Becker and Emmy Martinez are huge. And they didn't get close to any penalty. Not one. If Rian Brewster doesn't try and put the ball through the net, they're still taking penalties now. I think they need to just tweak that one step and dive. It's easily reviewable. So you can review it on VAR in the instant after it happens and make sure they haven't done anything else. Um, look, even good goalkeepers save you know less than 30% of penalties. So it's not like there'd be many that you'd have to review. The bigger reviews are probably going to come for encroachment on the other side. But it got me thinking this whole weekend of... of you know, they, they played the Women's Charity Shield and then they played the Men's. And I think that's really good. And I think they should do more to highlight women's football. The Women's Champions League was played this weekend as well. Uh, congrats to, to Leon winning the Champions League once again. Um, but it got me thinking that the Community Shield in itself, I mean... You look at the teams, Liverpool were missing Trent, but played a very strong team, missing Henderson as well. But Arsenal played a number of players that probably won't be in their first 11. And it got me thinking that maybe it's time to move away from this format. And this is something I've talked about before on Anfield Index. 
But I think it's maybe time to look at going to an all-star game. The NBA does it. The NHL does it. Major League Baseball does it. MLS does it. Uh, the NFL has the Pro Bowl. And I think it might be time to do similar in in English football. To really make it an advertisement for the game in England. I think you could do it in a way that it benefits everybody. That the players get something to look forward to. That the fans get more involvement in. Now this season obviously wouldn't have been possible with, with COVID. But I think they could go to a full weekend. And not just have the game. I think you could have free kick competitions you could have you know skills demos different things like that could be really good fan expos where fans can get to meet players i look at the league now and obviously we have 20 teams in the premier league and this season what we have is we have eight teams in the south we have arsenal chelsea crystal palace fulham Spurs and West Ham, along with Brighton and Southampton. They're the eight teams in the south, in the north. We have Sheffield United, Manchester United, Manchester City, Liverpool, Everton, Burnley, Leeds and Newcastle. And then we have four teams in the Midlands. We have Leicester and then we have the three West Midlands teams, Aston Villa, West Brom and Wolves. So I'm arbitrarily just going to cut the country in half. And what that gives me is West Brom and Wolves become, sorry, West Brom and Villa become Southern teams, and Wolves and Leicester become Northern teams. So there's your 10 v 10. So you have your North versus your South, and I think this is the fairest way to split the league. Of the big six, you get Arsenal, Chelsea, and Spurs in the South. You get United, Liverpool, and City in the north. Um, I think it's the fairest way to split things, is to just go north v south. You obviously would have to find different points of the middle, um, depending on who's in the league, but I think this would be the fairest way. So you've got your 10 teams. I think the, the fairest way to do it is to limit it to two players per team. Two players per team. So no one team is having to send five or six players. Each side is made up of 20 players. So there's plenty of opportunity for players. Nobody's going to have to play 90 minutes. Uh, Well, maybe the goalkeepers and one more. That's how it would work. So you'd have two players would have to play the 90 minutes on each side. That's, That's not bad. You know. But the two players from each team, and if one of those players pulls out, then that team has to put forward another player. So, for example, if Manchester City had two players picked and they were Raheem Sterling and Kevin De Bruyne, and let's say Kevin De Bruyne pulls out, well, then City have to put forward the replacement for him. So, Bernardo Silva, for example, or Phil Foden would would be the pick. Now, the way to do this is is more difficult. It's more complex. You have to do it by a vote. 
and each vote would have to be set up positionally. So I think you'd have to do it over the course of a period of months. So say, for example, you start with the goalkeeper. You put in every team's goalkeeper in the, in the north, for example. And let's just say Alison Becker is the goalkeeper picked. And then let's say we go to right back and Trent Alexander-Arnold is the right back picked. Well, then Liverpool can't have any player left in any of the preceding polls. It's not the fairest. It's not, maybe, it's not fair in a Virgil van Dijk, a Sadio Mane, a Mo Salah. But I think you have to limit it to two players per club. Because otherwise it will be unbalanced. It will be six Liverpool players, five Man City players and nobody else. That's what it would be. It would be Alisson, Trent, Virgil, Laporte, Robertson, Kevin De Bruyne, Fabinho, Bernardo Silva, Mo Salah, Raheem Sterling, and Sadio Mane. So actually, I've only got four City players there. Now, it could be someone might suggest somebody else, and that's fine. But that's what the team would be. And I don't think looking through the north of England, there's anybody who breaks into that team. The south would be a little bit better balanced between, between the big three down there. I think, you know, Kane would be in. Toby Alderweireld would be in. You'd probably get LaCelso in. There'd be a number of Chelsea players, a number of Arsenal players. You might have room for a Zaha, um, a James Ward-Prowse, a Lewis Dunk, perhaps. Lewis Dunk probably is the second best central defender in the South after Toby Alderweireld. So I think if you limit it to two players per team, and just make it a real spectacle, you know. Make it something that fans can enjoy. Still do it for charity, obviously, and all that money can go there. But I just think if we want to shake it up and make it a bit more interesting, make it a bit more exciting, you can do a whole bunch of different things with this. For managers, you just pick whoever's the manager of the highest-placed northern team and the highest-placed southern team from the year before. So this year, if it had been played, it would have been Jurgen Klopp and Frank Lampard. I think this would work. I think there's a lot of steps that you know, you'd need to put real thought into, figure out the, the selection process, obviously. Um... Maybe you just get a panel together. Maybe you find a panel of experts and lock them in a room and say, right, based on last season, go ahead and pick the best 20 players from these 10 northern teams and the best 20 players from these 10 southern teams. And that's our squad. I think it can work. Right. Moving on. Quite a lot of transfer news over the weekend. Uh, some confirmed deals. 
some deals that are on the very brink of being confirmed. We'll start off with Spurs. Uh, they confirmed the signing of Matt Doherty from Wolves for a fee in the region of $16 million. Uh, congrats to Bohemians, who get a $1.6 million windfall as a result of that. Um, I, I have said I won't be biased uh, towards Liverpool, or I'll try not to be on this podcast, uh, but I will remain biased towards Irish players, and I hope everybody can accept that. Uh, but I don't like this move for Spurs. I like Matt Doherty. I think he's really good as a wing-back. I think he's very, very good going forward. But I don't like this move because Mourinho is not going to play him as a wing-back. Now, I've heard people say, oh, but Spurs will play, you know, a lopsided back four and attack, and that's fine. But you're not asking him to defend in a lopsided defence. You're asking him to defend in a flat back four, which is what Mourinho does. Doherty's a good player. He's good going forward. He's not good defensively. He's really not good defensively. I think he could get badly exposed. And I think whoever the centre-back is that's going to have to play next to him, probably Toby Alderweireld, you're going to be asking them to cover an awful lot of ground. An awful, awful lot of ground. And if it's Toby Alderweireld, that's going to lead to two things. A very, very annoyed Toby Alderweireld and probably an injured Toby Alderweireld. And if Toby gets hurt, you are in trouble. Because you cannot afford to lose one of the top five centre-backs in the league, no matter who you are. You just can't. Going forward, it will work, and it's clear to see Mourinho's looking for players with a certain type of mentality. You look at Heiberg and now Doherty. Strong rumours that he also wants Chris Wood from Burnley, and I've seen this rumour kind of dismissed by some people, but it does make sense. I mean, Wood is only 29, he is a good player who's uh, a reliable, consistent goal threat. You know, he scored 14 goals last season in the Premier League. Um, he's not necessarily, you know, a sexy signing. He's not the type of player maybe that you would want your team to go and get. But as a backup to Harry Kane, I think it can work. And when you consider that Troy Parrott is viewed as the long-term successor to Kane, and he's gone on loan uh, to Millwall. He's only, what, 18? So would maybe for three years, three successive loans, or maybe two successive loans for Parrott, maybe one in the lower league and then one in the Premier League, and then he comes back and competes, and you phase Wood out at that point. So I think it would make sense, and especially if you've if you're if you've brought in Doherty, who's a, a great crosser of the ball, makes sense to get more aerial threat. Um, shout out to the Spurs uh, social media team. The delete unveil for Doherty is is fantastic work. Uh, Matt Doherty is an Arsenal fan, lifelong Arsenal fan, who had a bunch of tweets um, about his adoration for the Gunners. Which, of course, Arsenal fans, uh, who are incredibly good at this type of thing, dug up and uh, were using to rub in the faces of um, of all Spurs fans. And Spurs fans were, were a little bit upset. So, 
Spurs went ahead with the video and it just shows them deleting those tweets. Um, it, it's very, very good to, you know, just address it from the off, make a joke of it and put it behind them and now everybody can move on. Spurs are happy with their buy. Again, I don't think it's the right move for them. I think it's a great move for him. Um, I think anytime you get a chance to join a top six club, and with all respect to Wolves, they're a great club, but they're not a top six club at this point. So it's a good move. Um, Crystal Palace continue their youth revolution. Uh, It looks like Conor Gallagher from Chelsea, England under 21 international, is about to join. Uh, He'll join Ebery Cheesy and Nathan Ferguson. Um, I think that's going to be a loan, but there's no option to buy. Gallagher's a good young player, and Palace are making moves to get younger. I think they're probably already looking beyond this season uh, at, at the post-Hodgson era. I, I've grown more and more fond of the idea of them keeping Wilf Saha because I really want to see what Saha and Easy can do together. They get a goal scorer and rumours are that Rian Brewster might go there, although he is strongly linked to a couple of other clubs including Sheffield United. Um, I think he could be great there. One striker they have been linked with is Ollie Watkins from Brentford. And Brentford have confirmed the signing of Ivan Tony from Peterborough. Uh, Tony's a player I do like. Tony, I think, could actually do a job for a Premier League team. But the Brentford move makes sense as his next step. Ollie Watkins would be a really good fit um, for Crystal Palace. I have an article out on EPL Index if anyone would like to go and read it. Um, just on some suggestions of things they could do, players they could maybe look at. Uh, to get younger, to get fresh blood in. It's quite an old squad at Crystal Palace. So do check that article out uh, if you get a chance. Leeds are making big, big moves. Having announced the signing of Spanish international Rodrigo, as well as German international Robin Koch, they seem to be going all out. Rodrigo de Paul, the Argentine midfielder from Udinese, is the next name that seems to be on their list. And he is a very, very good player. He's a very, very good player. He's been a big fish in a small pond for a couple of years at Udinese. But he profiles as somebody that would do really well under Bielsa, especially if used in more central areas. So with Bielsa playing that 4-1-4-1, if he uses him as one of the two central midfielders, and put someone next to him with some lungs, and Calvin Phillips is behind them, I genuinely feel like that could be a great signing for them. He will bring goals. He will bring creativity. Um, He's a little bit me first at times, but maybe Leeds could do with some of that. Um, I'd imagine playing under Bielsa is a a big, big spur for him to want to to make the move. Josko Gvardiol, uh, a name probably unfamiliar to most, is the next one on the board. A young centre-back from Dinamo Zagreb. A fee rumoured to be in the region of about £18 is what's been discussed. This is a left-footed, ball-playing centre-back who would fill the role, you'd imagine, of Ben White. uh, Although lefty, not a righty like White. By all accounts... Excellent on the ball, great at carrying the ball, not good in the air, and that is basically Ben White in a nutshell. Um, It's an awful lot of money for someone so young, but 
all the Croatian football experts all say this kid is going to be brilliant. This kid can't miss. He is nailed on to be great. So it's a big swing. It's a big, big swing. It's a big risk for a team coming up. Rodrigo, Cock and, and DePaul, I could 100% get on board with. They're established international players. They're quality players. They're coming from top leagues. To spend 18 million of your budget on a young centre-back, it's a brave move. It's a very brave move. But I like ambition. We're all about ambition here on this podcast. So uh, you do you, do you Leeds. Everton look like they have wrapped up the signing of Alan from Napoli. And I, I love that signing. Uh, I think he's one of the, the best players in the world of what he does. Now, he is 29 um, and he has a lot of miles in his legs. But I think he can be really good for them if they use him properly. Just don't lumber him in midfield with someone like Decore, who's going to need him to do all his running for him. Put him in midfield with Gabamon, and uh, that's your midfield. That's your midfield pairing. And build from there. So go and sort your wide positions. Um, if it's James Rodriguez, then that's fine. Make sure your your front two is, is set up right. And then sort right back and centre-back. You need a right-back, you need a centre-back. I think Everton need a goalkeeper as well, because I'm not a big fan at all of Jordan Pickford. Um, I think he's England's fourth or fifth best goalkeeper, and that's not saying a whole lot, although I do like two of them. I do very much like two. I like Nick Pope, and I like Dean Henderson. And McCarthy I like as well, but I don't know that he's, you know, I don't know that he's top six material. Uh, Pickford absolutely isn't and I don't think England should have a goalkeeper who's not capable of playing for the best teams in the country who's not one of the best goalkeepers in the league I don't think Jordan Pickford's one of the 10 best goalkeepers in the league Um, I think he makes far too many mistakes I think his stature goes against him and I just wouldn't be keen on him I think he makes mental errors Uh, Fulham continue to be busy bringing in Mario Lamina from Southampton on loan. He'll bring them some experience in midfield. Didn't work for him at Southampton, but he is a good player. Instead of him, he'll prove a worthwhile signing. Looks like Harrison Reed is joining on a permanent deal as well. That's a good signing. That's a bigger blow for Southampton. Um, I think they were sort of thinking he'd come back in for Heiberg, so they'll need to buy in midfield. It looks like Anguissa then and Sari will probably be on the chopping block to be sold. Um, understandably, they can probably still get some money for both of those. Anguissa is very good. Sari was great, but there's question marks over whether he actually wants to ever join Fulham or he just did it for the money. So that's a wait and see type of situation. And finally then, Manchester United. Um, Danny Van de Beek is rumoured to be close to agreeing a deal to go uh, to Manchester United. So this all came out yesterday. And somebody tweeted to their million followers that Danny van de Beek was ready to talk to Manchester United. Then one hour and 16 minutes later, 
that same person tweeted to the same million followers that there was a total agreement. The contract was done, agreed until 2025. In an hour and 16 minutes, contract negotiations take days, weeks, not one hour and 16 minutes. There's so much detail. It's not just this is how many years and this is how much we're going to pay you. There's appearance fees, unused sub uh, fees. You get loyalty bonuses. You get gold bonuses. You get image rights. You get appearances where you're contracted to make a number of appearances on behalf of the club each. There's so much to go through. And there's not a hope in hell that on a Sunday evening this was done in one hour and 16 minutes. To tweet that to a million people is absolute garbage. It's spoofer behavior. We don't tolerate spoofers here. Can we call out spoofers here? That is spoofer behavior. But when this deal gets done, in three weeks, everyone will go, oh, look, he called it first. No, he didn't. He took a guess because a five-year contract is absolutely standard for a, a player of his age at that kind of fee. So you can hedge your bets and say that's probably a five-year contract. It will obviously end in June of the year because that's when all contracts end. He's hedged his bets and he's taken a shot. They may be willing to start talking to Manchester United, but there is not a chance in hell that anything is total agreement. Not a hope. In terms of the move, I think it's not the ideal move for him. And I think it's a flat-out bad move for them. And I love Donny van der Beek. I think he's a tremendous football player but he's an attacking midfielder. And correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't Manchester United spend 54 million on an attacking midfielder in January? And you can tell me, oh, well, you need squad depth. Fine. Bruno Fernandes has never in his life been injured. Not once. Go and look it up. No injuries. He missed a game once because he was sick. He's never been hurt. United will probably play somewhere in the region of 55 to 60 games next year. And Bruno will start 45 to 50. So you're telling me that you're buying Danny Van de Beek uh, for 10 to 15 games? Oh, but he can fill in for Paul Pogba. No, he can't. That's not his role. His game is predicated playing off the ball, getting himself in the right positions, making smart decisions, linking play, and scoring goals. Paul Pogba is United's main playmaker. That's not Donny van de Beek's role. 
you also look at the existing depth that they have in attacking midfield and central midfield. In attacking midfield, you've got Bruno. Pogba would prefer to play there because he thinks that's what he is. You've got Juan Mata. You've got Jesse Lingard. And you've got Andreas Pereira. And you can tell me that Jesse Lingard is not in the plans and that Pereira is not in the plans. But both of them are at that club. Jesse Lingard is on a massive contract. They are not going to be easy to sell. They are not going to be easy to sell. You might have to loan them. But otherwise, they're at the club. And Mata will get games. In central midfield, Pogba, Fred, McTominay, and James Garner if he stays and doesn't go out on loan. These are not positions United needed to strengthen. You've got an article in the Times that says what they want to buy next are a right winger, a striker, and a centre-back. And that's the other thing. Some people have said, oh, but Van der Beek could be the, the backup to Martial, or he could play in Martial's role. Right? So you're going to spend £40 million on a player that's never played there before and hope for the best. That sounds like really good planning. Really good. United's needs are very, very clear. They need a defensive midfielder because they've got all this depth and quality in attacking midfield and centre midfield and their defensive midfielder is Nemanja Matic who hasn't been good in three years. One decent spell last season doesn't wipe out the previous two and a half. Fred can play there. It's not ideal. You don't really want him there. McTominay can play there if you don't really want any defensive work. United need, as a matter of priority, a defensive midfielder. They need energy. They need aggression. They need a ball winner. They need a shield for that back four. They need somebody in the mould of Wilfred and Didi. That's priority number one. They need a centre-back. Lingard is okay. He's good. He's not the right fit with Maguire. If you play Maguire, you need someone next to him with a little bit more pace who can cover for him. Eric Bailly's name, people have said, oh, like we have him. He's always hurt and he makes too many mistakes. Lindelof and Bailly, absolutely fine as backups. You need a starter to go with Harry Maguire. In your first 11, the only other need is arguably the left back. I think Brandon Williams is going to be tremendous. I don't think Luke Shaw is nearly as bad as he's made out to be. I think the left-back situation you could get by using those two. But United fans are adamant they need a left-back. That's fine. Um, not sure who you can get without paying silly money. But if you need a left-back, you need a left-back. That's fine. Uh, just remember that Luke Shaw is still one of the 10 most expensive left-backs of all time. They need depth in attack, without question. Greenwood, Martial, 
and Rashford is really good. It's really exciting. They're all young. They've got tremendous upside. They're all going to continue to get better. Now, the talk is that he wants to, he, Ollie wants to buy a right winger, which is just going to hamper Greenwood's progression. It's all it's going to do. Simple as that. You're going to take him out of the team. You're going to bust his confidence. You're going to give him less minutes. It's going to hamper his progression. I think United will be better off going and buying a backup number nine and a backup wide player. And then you've got Dan James as your sixth attacker in which role he's fine, he can develop. He's got talent and he's incredibly quick. But United need a backup goal scorer and a backup winger. Not a starter, in my view. Defensive midfield, centre-back, backup striker, backup right winger, and maybe a left-back if you're desperate for one. But Danny van de Beek is not the signing. And he's a, I love him as a player. But this is not a smart signing. This is not the signing a well-run club makes at this point. And United fans turned around to me uh, on social media yesterday and said, well, look at City. City in midfield. They have De Bruyne and Gundogan and they had David Silva and Bernardo Silva. And now they have Phil Foden. Well, Phil Foden came through the academy and surely that's what you're hoping James Garner will be. They have Kevin De Bruyne. You have Bruno. They have David Silva. You have Paul Pogba. They have Gundogan. You have Fred. And they have Bernardo Silva. And you have Juan Mata and McTominay. Now, I know it's not quite as good. But City, when they bought some of those players, were buying from a position of strength. They were already a title-caliber squad. They had Pep Guardiola. And aren't they ruining football? Isn't that the argument that's been made? That City are ruining football by stockpiling all these great players? Oh, but they bought Riyad Mahrez. And, and you accused them of ruining football. United have plenty of depth in midfield. Producer Guy suggested maybe it would work as a diamond. You play Pogba and Van de Beek in the engine, maybe behind Bruno. You still need your defensive midfielder. And you'd be a little bit worried about the defensive side of things. You put defensive midfielder plus those three. Um, Bruno works very hard, but and so does Van de Beek. But they're not, they're not good defensive players. Another United fan suggests to me that the best way for them to challenge for the title was to go all out and attack. And then I pointed out that look at Liverpool. Liverpool had Salah. They had Mane. They had Firmino. And they were really good going forward. They brought Wijnaldum in. Really good going forward. But that team didn't become a title-caliber team until Virgil van Dijk, Fabinho, and Alison Becker arrived. United have the goalkeeper, in theory, in De Gea. But they don't have the centre-back, and they don't have the holding midfielder. 
And they're the positions they should be looking to address. United are serious about challenging for major honours, not just getting to semi-finals and losing, not just finishing third on the same amount of points you finished with uh, the previous season when you finished sixth. United are serious. They need to go and get a centre-back and a defensive midfielder. And that's it. That is me for today. Thank you, as always, for listening. Um, Week one was, I think, a success. Um, I hope that we'll continue to grow and build on the numbers, um, the numbers of people that listened last week. If you could all tell one person, that would be great. app has a rating system i'd really appreciate a decent you know review or comment or rating only if you feel it's, it's warranted though um really really grateful for the feedback especially on the lee scott podcast um and excited to have lee come on with me during the season uh, also excited to announce that dan rhodes um at analyze sport on any social media will be coming on with me every friday to do a predictions pod where he is going to give us a statistical breakdown of the weekend's upcoming games and me and him will pick uh, predictions through the season. And we might have a little competition in it, a little bit of fun, uh, and see how we do. I'm working on getting a few more guests on, um, so we'll hopefully have someone this week. And I have someone for next week. I'm just going to hold the name um, for a couple more days. I'm really excited about what I think this podcast is going to become. I'm really grateful for all the feedback and the support so far. Thank you so much. Thank you, as always, to Guy Drinkle, my incredible producer, who keeps me on track and on time. Um, I'll see you tomorrow. Podcast Network.